Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 211 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor, Michigan, in my first podcast from our new home. And I'm Tom Miles, still in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to TextExpander for sponsoring our show. Communicate smarter with TextExpander. Gather, perfect, and share your knowledge. Recall your best words instantly and repeatedly. Learn more at textexpander.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. In our last episode, we discussed the practical aspects around the latest Facebook privacy brouhaha and the latest round of people a lot of them friends of ours, saying that they will once again quit Facebook and that they really do mean it this time, although most of our friends, Tom, still seem to be posting merrily away on Facebook as of this recording. I know one person who erased their Facebook account. We also mentioned that the second edition of our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, is now available in the ABA online bookstore. Congratulations to us, Tom, on getting that one done. And in this episode of the podcast, however, we were both intrigued by some recent announcements at Microsoft that some are heralding as the end of Windows. We want to discuss whether that's a big deal, a little deal, or no deal at all. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be discussing the new reorganization at Microsoft and how people are interpreting the changes in connection with Windows itself. In our second segment, we're going to talk about some practical approaches to unsubscribing to all those email newsletters and updates we seem to be getting in our uh, inbox. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But first up, Windows. Windows and Microsoft. On uh, March 29th, uh, Microsoft announced a major reorganization, although they've been doing that a lot lately in the past couple of years, uh, but a major reorganization that actually has some consequences as far as we're concerned. And we're going to talk about this in more detail in a minute, but basically... They're splitting Windows across the company, including the cloud and artificial intelligence team, as well as establishing or maybe renaming a new team that they're calling Experiences and Devices. Clearly, the Windows that we have come to know and not necessarily love um, is about to change. And uh, Dennis, I know there is nothing that you enjoy more than reading stories that start about the death of a technology. How excited were you to read about this one? I really do love the death of technology stories. It's kind of my hobby mm -hmm. and uh, actually was the topic of one of our very first podcasts. And this one uh, does seem important as, as we move forward. And so I, I you know, listened to a, a number of podcasts about this and a great 
post on April 2nd by Ben Thompson on the blog Stratechery about this. And I'm just fascinated by this reorganization, believe it or not. I can't believe those words just came out of my mouth, having been in the corporate setting for a while. But I like Ben's approach of, of saying that Windows is no longer the standalone unit. It's, it's being incorporated to other aspects of Microsoft. And it seems like the focus is really on the cloud and the, the productivity apps, or as we would think of it, might think of it as Azure and Office 365 might be a good way to think about it. And that sort of tells us something about the future and, and the different way of thinking at, at Microsoft. Well, and I think, as I mentioned a minute ago, that that what they've done is is that they have they have split Windows across. They're including it within the cloud and artificial intelligence team, which, like you mentioned, is more closely aligned with the Azure group, which, frankly, is probably a good idea because that's the it probably was meant to be there to begin with but it's also being part of this new group that used to be called windows and devices now it's called experiences and devices and it's going to explicitly include Windows, Office, and Surface, the Surface uh, line of, of computers. So I guess that Windows and Office are the experiences and Surface is the device. I'm not sure what other devices. The problem that Microsoft has had with Windows is that while we are seeing a huge push to mobile first for everything, Windows has really struggled getting to a mobile first or mobile anything platform because Windows Mobile just wasn't very successful and and it's not going to be successful and they've pretty much signal that they're not really going to have a play with that. And because of that decision, Windows is really no longer that dominant way that people use computers these days. So Android has got over 2 billion monthly active devices used. Apple has over a billion. And Microsoft has just a measly 600 million uh, Windows 10 users, which I think is a very interesting and telling point about how Windows has, has kind of uh, diminished in our thinking and in our usage uh, over the past couple of years. Well, Tom, I, I mean, just uh, as we're talking about this, it just, uh, I think it reflects a lot of our thinking in, in our collaboration tools book that there's the cloud has become so important. And then the, the productivity apps that, that run on the cloud that, that people use together. Let's go back and look at Windows. I mean, Windows has been with us for a long time. I and mean, Windows 1.0, 1985. I mean, Windows 95, 1995. And that's uh 23 years ago almost. So much has changed over that time. And I think one of the things you point out when you talk about Android and iOS and how, you know, quickly the versions of these OSs change, I mean, the long drawn out process of going to a new version of Windows with the updates and the, the fixes that we're all used to, it doesn't make sense anymore in the, in the cloud-based world. So I think that that has a lot to do with it. I've also always felt that the better the, the OS, um, the more transparent it becomes and the less I, I should really care about it. So in a way, I don't really care whether I'm on a Mac, on Windows, I'm on a, a you know a tablet, Android, whatever. I don't really care just as long as I can get done what I, I want to get done. So I guess one of the things this raises, Tom, for me is, is the question of how much do people really focus on operating systems anymore rather than what you can actually do on any given device. 
Well, so here's where this argument doesn't make a lot of sense to me, because I think it is clear, and we were talking about this before we started recording, a device needs an operating system to work. I think you're making the argument that it doesn't matter what operating system it is. I don't believe that necessarily to be true, and I think that Mac people would very much disagree with you that it doesn't matter that they're working on a Mac OS as compared to a Windows OS. I think that um, you know Windows people have a love-hate relationship with Windows, but using a different interface, because... All the OSs have different interfaces. They all have different approaches to how you access things. And yep, they're all primarily app-related and more people are accessing things through, through apps. But the fundamentals of that operating system are among all four of them, iOS, Android, Windows, Mac, they're all very different. And, and here's really where the main problem that I see is, is when you say that it really doesn't matter, is that... Windows is still important to Microsoft because their install base with business is huge. And so getting and saying that Microsoft is going to move away from the operating system or from Windows when most of this world's business is conducted on Windows, like it or not, is just really odd to me and doesn't make a lot of sense. And this is where I start to kind of lose traction with the Windows is dying type of, uh, of argument because I think that as long as business has a hold, it's going to be there. Now, whether it's going to morph, whether it's going to evolve, I think that's a good discussion for this particular segment of the podcast. But I'm just not convinced that, uh, you know, you and I as tech people and and people who are out there not in the business world, uh, maybe not don't have that same issue. But I think the business world is what's keeping windows alive like it or not yeah i think that and maybe it's it's uh it's better to say that it's not uh you know the os is not really doesn't matter that much to me because i just care about what i want to get done the fact that the operating system is stable it really doesn't matter to me you know i i know people say you're right it's Mac. It's a you know. It's versus Windows. It's iOS versus Android. But the fact is that what to me seems like truly operating system stuff doesn't matter as much as what I'm trying to accomplish in, in the apps. So I, I don't know. We, we we can debate that issue. I guess Tom. I don't think you and I necessarily will agree on that. But you'll you'll come around to my point of view uh, before too long. We'll and, see. <laughs> but I, but I think that what's interesting to me is in some of the stuff is is the response Microsoft has had to make to and and I think the thing with Windows is you know Windows Seven was not a happy experience Windows Eight not a happy experience Windows Ten people not happy with that the, what's, the, what, what, like, the Windows gotta, the so Windows gonna, Phone. I'm going to interrupt boom. you for a second and say I'm going to say that I, I'm going to disagree with that and say that. Every other Windows release has been successful. They have Windows 95, generally a successful release. Windows Vista, is it Windows Vista that came after that? Miserable release. Windows no, 7, well, Windows 7 actually was not a bad release, whereas Windows 8 was a miserable failure. Windows 10, however, has actually got a lot of stuff right, and as releases of Windows go, I think has been pretty successful. And frankly, it's gotten, I think, frankly, the way that Windows 10 has evolved has actually gotten Microsoft to the place where they can start to rely less on that as an operating system. I think they've actually gotten to the point where we're cloud first, where we're looking at things in a different way. So I'm, I think that, that uh, 
where was I headed with this argument? I don't know. I, I thought I was going to ask you, like, so what's, if you ask most people, okay, so what is the thing about Windows 10 that really distinguishes it? I, I don't know that anybody can point to anything other than to say, you know, it, it seems like most of the discussion, conversation about Windows last few versions has been, is there a start button and how does the start button work? No, so. Well, I think that's a very limited and narrow way to look at Windows. I mean, if you asked me what's different about Windows 10, I would say that it's more user-friendly. Things are in the right place where I want them. I've got a search bar at the bottom. I can use Cortana, and Cortana is built in if I want to use it. It's a lot friendlier than Windows 8, which took a backwards approach that everybody wanted to use it as a tablet, and that didn't really work. So everybody got uh, really ticked off because Windows 8 totally got rid of the start button, and bringing it back and making it a more friendly environment, I think, was a big move. I mean, there are little bits and pieces that make it a much friendlier product than previous versions of Windows have been. Well, Tom, can I ask you if I, I have this feeling that where the cloud's becoming the operating system anyway? Are you going to disagree with me on that? Or what do you think about that approach? That, you know, ultimately the what's happening and what we're running is happening on whatever operating systems being used in the cloud. And, you know, as we see with Chromebooks and, and other things, as long as you're connected to the internet, like what do we really care about the operating system on the device that we have? I think that's probably true, but there still has to be an operating system on the device, right? I mean, you can't just open up and have the cloud be an operating system. you you got to access it somehow. I, I will agree that I think that we're headed in the direction where, you know, what we know as personal computing is definitely becoming about the cloud and about artificial intelligence. And the operating systems that we're going to be using starting now and 10 years out absolutely have to be built around that concept because it's not going to change. And so maybe future Windows is going to serve as the front end to this type of computer rather than an operating system, rather than maybe a be-all, end-all kind of a platform, and maybe it's more of a front end to it. It's not going away, it's just evolving. Okay, so next thing I wanted to touch on is is really is whether Office 365 is a real story. And I think that, Tom, one of the things you and I do agree on is that the applications that would ordinarily be considered part of Office have become really the, the most interesting aspect of what Microsoft is doing. And so that's not just Office 365, it's it's Teams, it's Skype for Business, it's that that whole suite of, of products. And I think that I, I heard a podcast with Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, where he talked a lot about the notion of Microsoft needing to focus on the modern workplace. And I just loved that concept and the way he sketched out what, what that might mean. And I just saw these different pieces coming together because what what I care about is the again I always go back to how do I do the things that I want to do and so when we we looked at the collaboration tools collaboration is built into these things and you have this different way you have the all these ways to accomplish the work that you want and I think there is that notion as the modern workplace changes, as we work more remotely, we use different devices, we have to, you know, and we need different tool sets based on what we need. I think that's the the really fascinating and, and exciting part of where Microsoft may be going. Oh, I totally agree. And, and that's where maybe we do agree in this podcast that um, 
I think the more interesting story is Office 365, but I think that that's been a story that's been evolving the past couple of years that I think Microsoft realized early on that Windows was not the story, that cloud and AI was, and that Office 365 was the the most logical gateway to get to that point. And I, I think it, it, it definitely shows the pivot that Microsoft has been slowly making over the past couple of years, and that what we're seeing with Windows is really just further evolution in that pivot that they've been making. Well, I think that uh, Tom was, uh, for me, the the pivot notion here, and this is why I like Ben Thompson's Stratechery blog post, is he talks about this being uh, a classic example of disruption, which I know everybody's tired of hearing the word, but there is a precise meaning of disruption. And his his analysis of this is quite interesting in classic disruption theory. So I think that there's a business aspect of, of what's going on that's really fascinating because there is a pivot, you know, that notion of what do you do with the long time product as, as the environment changes um, and all of those things. And I think that this to me is if we start to think about it in the legal profession, Tom, I think that if you spent some time just kind of thinking through what's going on here and the challenges, there may be some lessons for the legal profession out of this as well. And I guess we will leave it right there. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Text Expander helps you communicate smarter. You get home from an event where you've met some potential clients. You create a Text Expander snippet with a follow-up message, use fill-in fields for the contact name and custom topic, quickly produce personalized emails to everyone by expanding and filling in your snippet, share your snippet with colleagues, and everyone gets done faster. Visit textexpander.com forward slash podcast for 20% off your first year. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We've recently moved to Ann Arbor. And as I do a whole bunch of address changes and other resets, I've been struck by the number of emails, newsletters, and updates I get, and how that number seems to grow like, well, kudzu. I'm taking the opportunity to do some unsubscribing and pruning of email newsletters. We wanted to talk about two aspects of this process, tips for unsubscribing, and also determining what email newsletters you really want to keep getting these days. Tom, you tend to be pretty rigorous on protecting your email inbox. Do you want to take the first pass at this topic? Well, you know, and I am rigorous about it, and which is I don't get a lot of content delivered to my inbox that I proactively that I unilaterally go out and ask for. You know, I think you and I both like the Recommendo email newsletter. And there's a couple of others that I believe there's a, a new a new email newsletter on social media from Casey Newton that I think is a great uh, roundup every day of the most important stories in social media. But 
other than that, we've had our discussion already on the Daily Me and how we consume news and how we get information. And for me, newsletters in it. What I'm finding more often these days is I'm finding that I am being subscribed to email content that I did not originally subscribe myself to, that they make it very simple and easy to unsubscribe. And I am almost every time I unsubscribe, it says, please tell us why you're leaving. And I have to click the button that says, I never subscribed to your newsletter in the first place. But that's kind of annoying to me. And that's happening. There's a big uptick. And I don't know if you or anybody else has recognized that. But, but in terms of you know, getting rid of things, if you're not going to click that unsubscribe button, that's that's the manual way. It's a painful process. Depending on who is sending it, it's not always effective. I think in general, when you get an option at the bottom that gives you a click and, and some of these, these automated mail services that offer an unsubscribe feature with, you know, instant or safe unsubscribe, uh, sort of these uh, certified services on, uh, on unsubscribing to something, I think they're generally trustworthy and they work for me. Usually when I unsubscribe from something, I don't get anything back. But it is the more time-consuming activity to do. If you're a Gmail user, a lot of, uh, of subscription or mail that you might get that is being mailed to a bunch of people, mass mailings, um, Gmail includes a little unsubscribe button in there. And I've had mixed success with that. If you click on that, you can get some things that would unsubscribe. Um, but uh, And it's easy and quick and let Gmail do the work for you. But um, it's, it's okay. What What's interesting is there are a number of unsubscribed services that are out there. And until last year, one of the most popular ones was unroll.me um, until it was discovered, I think, late last year that they were collecting information uh, and, and selling it to vendors, collecting your personal information, reading your Gmail and getting all that. So I will not be recommending unroll.me. The, the one that I will, a couple services that I will recommend, um, the alternative to unroll.me is called deceit, D-E-S-E-A-T.me. It uh, works the same as unroll.me in that um, you just turn it on and it will go and unsubscribe anything you want it to unsubscribe from, but it doesn't collect your personal information. If you're interested in using a tool like SaneBox, which is available for Gmail and Outlook, and I can't remember what the other mail services it's available with, but it also has a feature where it, it rather than unsubscribe, it will just put it into a black hole and you'll never see it again. So it's a different kind of unsubscribing. Um, and then if you're just trying to get rid of paper mail. Uh, one of the best apps I've seen to do that is an app called Paper Karma, where you just take a picture of the catalog or the junk mail that you just got, um, and Paper Karma will go to work and um, go and unsubscribe from that uh, snail mail document that you got. So there's a couple of options. Some are easier than others. Some are more successful than others. But uh, if you're really looking to unsubscribe, there are a number of options that are out there for you. Dennis, what are you thinking about this? Well, I, I, I want to echo what you were saying, because as we know, that however many years ago, the Can Spam Act basically eliminated spam emails. But, you know, I do find that it does seem that people are subscribing me to newsletters that I don't ask for. And that I just think that's a big problem because yep. if, if you're doing something where I've done something where you're interpreting it to mean that I'm subscribed to your emails newsletter, it's just such a bad customer experience. And I'm, I'm just going to form a bad opinion of you. And so I, I do see a fair amount of that. Um, I also see where you maybe subscribe to one thing and then all of a sudden you're getting multiple newsletters 
And then they put the burden on you to manage, so you can unsubscribe to all. But they put the burden on you to manage. You're going like, I, I, you know, do all I want is, you know, like in when I was in St. Louis, the the St. Louis Business Journal had had a, you know, like a headline service or a daily email, and that was that was fine. But as I try to unsubscribe it now, I, I see it's been fractionated into a number of of newsletters, um, and I got to unsubscribe to each of them. And so what I found is that probably three times in the last couple of years, I've been very aggressive about getting rid of, of email newsletters that I don't want. And it just seems like they just keep growing and, and growing. So um, I'm not sure what it is, but I do have that sense, Tom, that there is some kind of default to an opt-out that's happening or else it's a trick opt-in, which I, it, which is just as bad I think that's um, right. to me and, and, and possibly worse. I like you, the Gmail unsubscribe thing, I've had mixed results with that. I mean, sometimes it it's available. Sometimes it doesn't seem to be available and I tend to do the thing by hand. I also will do the other thing that can be helpful is that there are some things that you like, especially like if you've uh, you bought something or there's a company that you like to buy things from, and then you're getting this daily thing that sometimes they'll do like a monthly or weekly uh, summary email, and that can make a big difference because if you see that you have 100 emails and they're all in the Gmail promotions email folder, that doesn't seem right, but there's certain especially buying products that you you do like to have the emails just not when they're part of a hundred other ones so you can do some things about the frequency as as well so a number of things out there i don't know that i have comfort for the reasons that you said and also um just because i don't know exactly how the services are going to work having an unsubscribe service do it for me so I, i tend to be to feel pretty manual about it but i do like to take at the time, you know, every six months or so to really go down and, and whack away at those email newsletters. I try to pick the ones that, that matter to me because I feel like I'm spending more time managing all of the ones that come in there than and not having any time to, uh, to read the ones that I really wanted to read. So now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So uh, my tip, and it's actually more of a site, and it's a kind of a fun site to play with. It's it's not going to be terribly helpful to you. It's from Google. It's a new site. It's an experimental uh, page called Talk to Books, and it says that you can browse passages from books using experimental artificial intelligence. And it's not a traditional search engine, but what it's doing is it's showing you how Google is teaching artificial intelligence about how real human conversations work. And once it learns that, it's then arguably able to predict how one statement would follow another as a response. And so they've, they've gathered about 100,000 or so books um, kind of as the seed that they've trained. And it, it encourages you to ask questions and see what kinds of answers you get. So it's not something that you're really going to use in your work, but I think it's something to see, you know, what artificial intelligence can do. I, I just typed in the, the question, what's the best way to find a new job? And I got uh, some passages from books that say networking can also help you identify new job opportunities 
communities, it is consistently cited as the number one way to get a new job. And the next one, although there are many ways to find employment, two methods have proved to be the best and most effective, networking and direct contact with employers. So the results we get are absolutely 100% spot on correct with the question that's asked. And so I, I think that as, a, as an example of how artificial intelligence and machine learning are improving, uh, this is a really cool site to look at. So it's Google Talk to Books. Of course, the acid test for it will be if it can predict what our train of thought is going to be one after another. Tom, I want to mention two things. One, of course, is the availability of the new edition of our Collaboration Tools book. But uh, the one thing that's kind of close to my heart these days is the Legal Technology Resources Center's Women of Legal Tech Class of 2018 was just announced today, the day of our, our recording. And you can see that list on the Law Technology Today website. There's 25 new women we've added to the list, making a total, I think, around 85 or 90, maybe uh, in that range. And so uh, for those people putting on conferences who can only find uh, males uh, for their panels, this list is going to be a great place for them because there are plenty of great people they can pick. And uh, my compliments both to to this class and the, the great uh, committee that worked to put the list together and, and do all the work on that. I saw a number of tweets last week about a coding conference going on in Europe, and they were uh, bemoaning the fact that out of the 90 speakers, 89 of them were male speakers. So uh, still a lot of work to do here. I think that this list is a great opportunity for us in the legal tech community. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on LinkedIn, on Twitter, and don't forget, we've got a number for voicemail questions. That number is 720-441-6820. We love to get questions that we can talk about during our B segment of the podcast. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.